In 2006, Rhonda Burns' book, The Secret, helped bring the law of attraction to greater public awareness. Before that, this concept was limited to a couple of different self-help books, for instance, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. The Secret has been met with both praise and criticism from readers, some claiming that it provided them with insight and hopes, and others saying that it feels just too good to be true. In today's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, I delve deep into The Secret, exploring the concept of the law of attraction. I go further by taking a look at this principle's origin within the New Thought movement. I review the book itself, sharing what I like and dislike, and ultimately giving a witch's perspective on the law of attraction. Now, there's a lot of good and bad internet chatter around regarding The Secret, each side having valid points. Further, I've also seen people jump to some conclusions about this secret and what it offers or what it implies. So I feel that it's important to have an honest conversation about the secret and explore the good as well as the bad from this book. Join me for today's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays as I take a closer look at Rhonda Byrne's book, The Secret, to see if the law of attraction is worth the hype. Sit back, get your favorite beverage, and get ready for this episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. The Secret of Witch's Perspective. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. And welcome back. My name is Jessica, also known as the Mystic Geek. And today we're going to be talking about Rhonda Burns' The Secret. And then along with that, some of the underlying factors, meaning the law of attraction, where that came from, the new thought movement, my views on the book, what I like and don't like. And then also some perspectives I can give as a witch, not the witch, not speaker of all the witches, but just a witch, when it comes to some of the principles brought up in this book and what to keep and what to say, you know what, this may not be for me. So with that, let's begin. What is The Secret? This is a book that Rhonda Byrne put together in 2006 after some life events and after doing some soul searching as it were. What she came up with was taking a look at the law of attraction and how this is something that a lot of people in the past, successful people, I should say, believed. And her theory was that because they believed in the law of attraction and they utilized its principles, it helped them get to where they are, where they were at that day and age. I was about to say where they are today, but most of those people are dead. We're talking about like Beethoven or Churchill or Abraham Lincoln, people from the past. From looking at the book, I'm going to just be upfront on this one. There's itty bitty snippets of quotes from those individuals. The vast majority of the book itself is either Rhonda Burns' own writings or she brings on these experts 
who believe and who espouse the teachings of the law of attraction. This secret that all of these people from the past allegedly knew and practiced, we really don't have a whole lot of proof of that. This is more uh, conjecture. This is more theory based on a couple of quotes here and there that line up with Rhonda Byrne's beliefs and what she's trying to, to express. Now, as for the secret, the naming of the book, I consider this to be a wonderful, creative, crafty marketing scheme. Because who does not like a good secret? By alluding to it as a secret, she's saying that this is something that is either not known by people or was intentionally kept from people. That's a way of luring others into this. And even today, she still has a pretty solid following. I actually looked up The Secret on Facebook as a page, and this page has about 8.7 million followers. And not only that, but she is posting a couple times a day on this page. So that's telling me that this is an active following even 17 years after the initial book was published. All right, let's talk about the rabbit hole of beliefs, or should I say the layers of onions for this? Either way, it's fairly complex. So for you to understand the secret, you need to have a better understanding of the law of attraction. For you to have a better understanding of the law of attraction, you need to know a little bit more about the new thought movement from the 19th century. For you to have a better understanding of the new thought movement from the 19th century, you also need to have an understanding of belief systems from other cultures, including the Kabbalion. So you're probably wondering, what is the Kabbalion? This is a book that was translated, compiled, what have you, in about the 1900s, so about 1908, by quote-unquote the three initiates, though there are beliefs on who the actual author is. And the idea is this is the writings of Hermes Trismextus, which I'm sure I butchered the name, but the idea there is it's meant to be Hermes the Trice Great, and that comes from someone going through and reading the Egyptian hieroglyphics elsewhere, and it said the great, 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 which could also mean the greatest. But whatever. The idea here is Hermes Trismethcus was a fictional Egyptian sage. He wasn't believed to be fictional. People actually believed he existed and that he is the author of various hermetic writings. What do I mean by hermetic? Hermetic is various occult systems that are attributed to Egypt, Kemetic to Hermetic. At that time, a lot of people who are looking into these things thought that there was this connection between the Egyptian god of knowledge, Thoth, and Hermes, the messenger slash trickster-ish god from Greek mythology. You have these writings that were compiled in the 1900s, add in a little bit of a new thought movement to fix things up and make them a little bit more palatable for the audience of that time frame, and you have the Kabbalion. In the Kabbalion, there are seven principles to the universe, basically laws, but they're not human laws. They're believed to be more, this is how the universe works, and it's important for mystic people to understand these laws in order to better navigate the world around them. So a few of these laws come up as points of interest when examining the New Thought Movement and subsequently the Law of Attraction. First is going to be the principle of vibration. So the idea there is everything has a frequency. 
everything has a movement. In addition to that, there also is a principle of cause and effect, basically that everything happens because something else initiated it. And it is part of the occultist, the magus's job to rise and ascend so that they are no longer the individual being affected, but rather the person who is causing the things. And there's also a principle of the mind or mentality where it focuses a lot about how reality is constructed through the thoughts. So you can probably guess where this is all going here. We hit the new thought movement, which was the 19th century, so 1800s onward. It was predominantly United States based, and there was a lot of fascination with beliefs and practices that were considered occult or mystic in nature that came from other cultures. So we're talking Egyptian, Chinese, Hindu, Buddhism, anything that is outside and different practice-wise than the heritage of the people that were believing and practicing it, which were basically white people. I'll just call it out there. Some claim that they had direct tutelage from those lineages, but that was something that was never really confirmed. The big thing about the New Thought movement is it really focused on the mind. Go figure, right? And not just with the mind, but aspects of thought versus belief or thought versus belief versus consciousness. A huge component of it was the concept that the mind affects the body and the mind affects reality. If you follow that along, and they're very obvious on it, they're pretty blunt on it, that they believe that dis-ease, not just disease, but dis-ease is caused by a person's thoughts and that by right thinking, whatever that means, that a person's dis-ease could be resolved. So with that, now we can get into the whole concept of the law of attraction. So the law of attraction is not listed as any of the seven principles in the Kabbalion, the text that I mentioned earlier. This is actually put together, pieced together from a couple of different principles in there, mainly the law of cause and effect, so that everything that happens, there's something that caused it, and the law of vibration, meaning that everything has a frequency and everything has a movement. This means that we could take a look at the cause of various events happening, being the vibrations of the person leading up to and at the time that the event happened. So not just looking at are there bad actors that are in play, but also looking at the relative state of the individual as to whether or not something bad happens to them. This is where it gets interesting, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later. We'll put a pin in this until I get into my thoughts on overall the themes on here. I'm just relaying what I found out so far. Let's get into the good and bad of the secret now. Fair disclosure here, I only got through about 80 pages out of the 180 that are in here. At the same time, this is a bit of a pain in the butts to read through. It's not solid text or narration from a single author. What happens is it snips of bits and pieces from various writers with commentary from Rhonda Byrne throughout it. So it's like you're jumping back and forth on different things. I had a hard time concentrating. I actually am surprised I got through 80 pages. What I ended up doing for the rest is each chapter has a summary with a bunch of bullet points. And if those bullet points intrigued me, then I went back to take a look a little bit further on what was discussed in that chapter. 
I think the biggest positive of this book is it encourages people to take a look at their life and see their life as changeable versus coming at it from more of a victim mind frame where you believe everything is happening to you and you have no agency. Granted, there are people in life out there who do not have a whole lot of freedom or do not have the ability to make drastic changes in their life. However, that is not the universal standard. A lot of us, even if it's a small thing or even if it is reframing our thoughts about a situation, we have the ability to change that version of what we call reality. There was also the aspect of how our thoughts and our feelings are connected, which is true. We tell ourselves various narratives, which lead us to evoke various feelings. Our thoughts can evoke feelings. Likewise, our feelings can invoke thoughts, depending on our situation. If we feel something, we might start to interpret what is going on around us a certain way. So there is that connection there. Further along that lines, it is the importance of being aware of one's thoughts. The importance of understanding a line of thinking so that you can be aware, pivot, and redirect it. That's another thing that they bring up in the book, and I feel that is truthful, that is valuable information. They also have us take a look at the whole concept of gratitude. A way of shifting your thoughts away from the negative would be to look at the positive that is going on in your life. This is not to say to spiritually bypass, to ignore those negative feelings, but rather than allow yourself to continue in that cycle of negativity and to ruminate about things that you can't necessarily change, there is that encouragement for you to look at the positive that's happening in your life and to feel grateful and feel joy about it versus just letting it sit on the sidelines there. Another thing that is mentioned that I feel is vital is the significance of asking for what you want. In the framework of manifestation through the law of attraction, it is the belief that you are asking the universe for what you want. I feel that it's important to be able to ask for what you want, whether it's to the universe, whether it's to a spiritual being or someone in the flesh. A lot of us are trained to mute our desires, to push them down. So that asking for what we want outside of when we were children with Santa Claus feels very alien. And this is a practice that helps us because if we don't ask for what we want, no one's a mind reader, so it's not going to happen likely. Whereas if we are able to ask for what we want to another person, to the universe, first off, we are allowing ourselves to want it. And second, we are seeking guidance or seeking support in order to get those things. Granted, we don't know for sure if the universe is gonna provide, we don't even know if our friends are gonna provide if we ask, but it still is important to at least honor and acknowledge that aspect of our humanity, which is to desire. There is one more bit that I feel is positive from this book, and that was in the section that talks about relating with others. They focus more on appreciating others, looking at the positives, looking at what they bring to us versus constantly focusing on the negative and complaining. Now, granted, if someone's being an abusive asshole, that's one thing. That's not what this is talking about here. This is talking about the partner who doesn't do the dishes or the partner who leaves their toothbrush on the sink or someone who does just because of how their personality is or how they're wired, they do things that may be a little bit annoying. If they are a deal breaker, that is one thing. If it's just a minor petty annoyance, that's more on us and our framework and how we perceive things 
versus the person actually doing it intentionally. So that's where the secret is more about focusing on the positive, focusing on the beneficial parts of the relationship rather than allowing yourself to continue down a spiral of complaining and negativity. I do also want to spend some time identifying and discussing the parts of the book that I consider to be challenging, some might even say problematic, based on their content or how they are framing certain issues. One of them is actually from the first chapter called The Secret Revealed. The writer of this section is Bob Harris, who is the teacher and founder of the Centerpoint Research Institute. And he's talking about his email correspondence with one of his students named Robert. Now he brings up that Robert is gay. Robert faces and experiences homophobia. He fears walking down the street because of how people react to him. And he wants to get into stand-up comedy, but he can't or he has challenges with that because the people he interacts with when he goes to perform ridicule him for being gay. And the writer of this, Brian, goes and says to Robert that Robert needs to take a look at what he's focusing on. He calls out Robert as being very passionate and says if you focus your passion towards other things, that could change your outcome. And the end of this anecdotal story is that Robert does change the focus of his passions and then realizes through that or, re or recognizes that his co-workers are no longer harassing him, that he can walk down the street safely, that he has less issues now that he's focusing on things other than the hate that was directed to him. I can see two sides to this. On one side, when we focus on a specific topic or a specific issue, we become more aware of that thing in our lives. For instance, the game of, well, think about white cars. Well, what are you gonna see more often? You're gonna see a lot more white cars, but that's because your brain is tuned into that. However, the way that this story is framed is it makes it sound like Robert stopped homophobia in his life by not thinking about the homophobia. And that is a dangerous line of thinking to have because it doesn't always work out that way. If he goes and says, la la la, homophobia doesn't exist, bad things can still happen to him. That's simply the way that the world works, or at least how I believe the world works. Positive thinking isn't necessarily going to stop other people from taking action or showing their ill will or showing that they are bad actors. Remember how in the beginning I mentioned that the law of attraction is rooted in new thought movement and how the new thought movement thinks that everything and our reality is in our heads. So for instance, if we're sick, that it is something that is in our mind that we can potentially resolve. The same goes with weight within the secret. Yes, they actually, they cover that topic in here quite a bit. There's a full section in here in the chapter, how to use the secret called the secret of your body. And in this is where Rhonda directly writes for the reader about her own experience and her struggles with weight and how she went through and started focusing positive thoughts or utilizing her thoughts to affect her weight. For instance, the whole issue of food cannot cause you to put on weight unless you think it can. So it's disregarding the science of calories and of metabolism on there. And it's saying, instead of focusing on losing weight, focus on yourself being the perfect weight is the way that she phrases it and that the universe will respond. 
So we have this whole concept of disease as well. This comes up in a later chapter called The Secret and Your Body. She goes back to the whole thought of how disease is something that is caused by the mind or the mind's concept of reality. It's the point where there's, in the summary, it is saying, if you're feeling a little unwell, don't talk about it unless you want more of it. We are going back to the whole concept of our thoughts and purely our thoughts shape our reality. So the way that we avoid bad things from happening is by avoiding thoughts about it or focusing more on the positive and not allowing ourselves to focus on those negative aspects of reality there. When we look at the law of attraction through the lens of the secret, it comes across as a highly individualistic principle. And what I mean by this is it focuses on the self, focuses on building one's wealth, focuses on one's health, focuses on greatening one's relationships, focuses on feeling better about the world, but it doesn't actually focus on the community around that person or the world around them. In fact, the whole concept of cutting negativity out of one's life is part of the book. And in one of the later chapters, Rhonda brings up how she stopped watching the news because she doesn't want to bring that negativity into her life. And she also points out that the news and the negativity in the news is part of this endless consumer-consumed cycle, which in a sense is true, but it also denies that we are tribal creatures. We are creatures of community. We are creatures of connection. That yes, it can be great to build up all these things for ourselves, but to be so self-sufficient that we just need to change our thoughts and through that our frequency to get what we want is a very selfish, westernized way of thinking versus recognizing how we are all interconnected with one another. I also want to take a moment to address the bad science that is brought up when people talk about the law of attraction or the secret. Oftentimes, they will say that thoughts attract similar energy, like magnets. That's not how magnets work. Magnets have opposite polarities on them, and what happens is the opposite attracts. So if we were to use magnets and how magnets actually work, it would be like bad things happening to good people who think positive things or good things happening to people who think negative things. That is not how this works on either way on this. So again, magnets, bad scientific allegory on this one or metaphor, I don't even know. What I would say is when we're looking at like attracts like, that is more of a relational type of energy. When we take a look at relationships between people, we are drawn to sameness. We are drawn to familiarity because we see ourselves in the other people. Tribalism is a basis of connecting with others who are similar to you so that you have that in-group, the people who have shared beliefs, shared values, shared visions, and in the out-group, meaning the people who fall outside of that norm or outside of that culture. That is where sameness attracts sameness, but not magnets. Magnus attract opposite things, okay? Now, before I give my thoughts on this book a bit more in detail, I do want to share one passage that I found to be a hot-button topic among various readers on the internet. So I'm going to share with you this paragraph, and then I'll share with you the thoughts and reactions to it, as well as my beliefs, and then we'll jump into my thoughts about the whole book, okay? Okay. So here is that passage. 
When people first hear this part of the secret, meaning the law of attraction, they recall events in history where masses of lives were lost, and they find it incomprehensible that so many people could have attracted themselves to the event. By the law of attraction, they had to be on the same frequency on the event. It doesn't necessarily mean that they thought the exact event, but the frequency of their thoughts matched the frequency of the event. If people believe they can be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they have no control over outside circumstances, those thoughts of fear, separation, and powerlessness, if persistent, can attract them to being in the wrong place at the wrong time. There are those who've read that section of the book, and after reading that section came to the conclusion that Rhonda Byrne was blaming the Jews for the Holocaust, or even blaming the victims of 9-11 for what happened to them. So before going further, I do want to clarify the word blame here. They use the word blame, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page and what that actually means. So the idea of blaming is to assign responsibility or fault, but to do so from a moralistic framework to say, A caused B and A is bad for causing B. A is at fault for causing B. I don't think that was Rhonda Byrne's intentions. I think that when she's going through this from the framework of energetics, of the law of attraction, the law of frequency, taking a look at individuals, they have those beliefs and those beliefs carry a frequency with them. And it's through that frequency that collective bad events we're drawn in on that. That's the theory that she has. She's not blaming them for the action. She's, she's not saying shame on you for what, thinking that you caused this to yourself. She's trying in a pseudoscientific method to provide a rationale for what happened above and beyond the belief that bad people are bad people. She was trying to look for the subtle energy as to why these things happen. Probably not the best way of doing that, but we'll talk about that in a moment. All right, so if you got this far, you're probably wondering what A, which is perspective, is on the law of attraction. Before going forward, I do want to reiterate, I am one witch. I am not the spokesperson when it comes to witchcraft or my tradition or whatnot, just in case anyone wants to use that against me or to try and oversimplify things because that shit happens. Anyways, so my stance on this, I feel that this book could be better. I'm just going to flat out say it. I feel it could be better. The good things I found in it is in trying to explain the importance of mentality and the importance of the mind when it comes to bringing about the things that you want in life, reminding ourselves that we are not beholden to our past, that we are not locked in when it comes to a certain life path or things that are out there, that we have that power to change things. I feel that is a beneficial lesson there. That being said, some of the pseudoscience in here is grating. G-R-A-T-I-N-G. The whole use of the magnet metaphor drives me a little bit wild because I know how magnets work and like attracts like is not a magnet thing. The bringing up of the story of how someone through positive thinking stopped homophobia in their life. That could have used a bit more context as to what exactly happened versus just making it super simplified of they wish and it happened. The views when it comes to our health, when it comes to our weight, I consider those to be pretty concerning. 
even though I am an energy worker, even though I believe magic is real, I'm also a strong believer of if you have the ability to, go see a doctor. I also believe that science is a thing. So that is where I differ from this. Another aspect I find on this one is the focus on the energetics, purely focusing on thought, on individualistic things, on how the energy causation and effect that doesn't help us here and now. We are a spiritual world, but we are also a physical world. Yes, we are individual beings, but we're also connected to each other through this messy web we call humanity. And those are things that need to be focused on. When you have an audience, when you have people who are listening to you, it's important to recognize that your voice carries weight and people don't always read the whole freaking manual, if you know what I mean. People are always going to dumb things down. And if you're just some rando on the internet saying things, it's not going to matter as much as if you are someone who has now multiple best-selling author books. That's another aspect of this that I feel is important to bring up is when she, when Rhonda realized the following that she had, she had some power to be able to sway culture. And the way that she swayed it was more focusing on people to focus on themselves versus look at the world around them. Heck, bringing it up in her book, how she doesn't listen to the news, that Others may look at and say, oh, well, the news is too low vibe for me. I'm not going to follow current events and thus disconnect themselves from the greater world. I do feel that that is an issue. Maybe it was not intentional on her part, but it is something that did have ramifications there. Am I going to burn the book? No, I am not going to. I respect what she has done. I respect that she has helped people gain greater awareness of their ability to change their lives, their ability to reframe what they see as their reality and to improve things for themselves. I would not recommend this book to someone who is brand new on their self-improvement journey. This is something that I would hand to someone who's a little bit further along and then ask them to critically analyze this book and assess what they find truthful versus not in it. So not necessarily a self-help book, but more of a book to help others when figuring out their own spirituality to be able to discern what is good and what is not good there. All right, I'm curious if what I said invoked any strong feelings, good, bad, or otherwise. As always, we are open to feedback. So you can either email me directly at just at themysticgeek.com. Otherwise, I do have my voice recording platform at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Either way is a great way to get a hold of me, share your thoughts and feedback about this episode, if you have any questions, or if you have any ideas for subsequent topics along those lines. So that now brings us over to what are the next episodes going to be like. I still have yet to figure out what I'm going to do for episode number nine. There's a lot of stuff that's going on right now in various spaces. I'm wondering whether or not to bring that up or whether to go with a different topic altogether. I will probably will figure this out the Friday night before when episode 9 is supposed to go live. So we will see. Let's talk about the following episode, which will be Sunday, February 19th. I have a whole bunch of individuals lined up for the following episodes when it comes to interviews. The first one is going to be Kathleen Donnelly Israel talking about the pilgrimage that she made called Walking the Camino. 
So we'll talk a little bit more about well, what the Camino is, what it is to walk this pilgrimage, the various experiences she had. That will be in two weeks time on February 19th. With that, I hope that you have a spiritual AF day and don't keep us a secret. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a Spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing. 